I want to share with you a passage. If you just remain standing for a moment, I've got something to impart to you from God's word. I, I'm fired up today, and so you better be ready. You better bring the heat too. Don't make me do it. I've got something that God has just burned in my heart. It's been months that I've been preparing to communicate some of what I want to share this week and next week with you. And so um, I want to let Mark chapter 7 be kind of the foundation for what I'm going to share. I've got a, I've got such a long sermon, I, divide, I decided to divide it up into two parts, this week and next week. So you ought to be thankful for that because i got an hour and a half, but I'm going to cut it up. And um, I really feel like it's going to really set the stage for where we're going as a church. We have a new name. I love it. X-Church. We have a new name. We've got a new future. We're the same mission, same vision, same church, but new inspiration. There's something I want to I want to impart to you. It's found in Mark chapter 7. Let me read to you this narrative. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Can everybody say, Ew, so dirty says in verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. It says, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. That's like uh, um, when, when you come from work and you get home, you don't eat unless you wash, hopefully, right? Or when you've been out playing, you don't eat unless you Wash, that's what it says. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, plates, silverware. Aren't you thankful for dishwashers? I'm not talking about my wife. I'm talking about the thing you put in there. I'm thankful for her, though. She carries the heavy load. Verse 6. I love, I love, uh, or no, verse 5. It says, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Hey, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food with defiled or dirty hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now he turns it around on them. I love Jesus. He's so gangster. He says, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, check this out, he says, are far from me. Their worship and they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. I got a word for you today. Come on, bow your heads with me, both locations. Would you just pray? I, I really believe that the Spirit of God is here. And God, you have something that you want to impart into our lives. We didn't show up today just because we had to go to church, but we're here today with open hearts and open minds, God, ready for you to give us something. God, we came here needing something from you, from your Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray that as I declare the words that you have put into my heart, God, would you enable me to say it the way you want me to say it? But more than that, God, would you enable every single person under the sound of my voice to receive what you want them to receive today? I pray you would expand our vision. God, you, are, you would enlighten us today. That you, God, you would point out things in us that are not of you. And that, God, we would let go of those things and grab on to what you have for us. 
God, I know you've got a word for us, and we receive it right now in advance by faith. And we pray all these things according to the wonderful Savior, and his name is Jesus. And everyone said, come on, can we give him praise one more time, church? Hey, would you do me a favor, and would you high-five three people around you? Say, I'm glad I got to sit next to you. Come on, tell them, I'm glad I get to sit next to you. Glad I get to. Three people, just three. Don't walk around. Don't go back three rows. You can see them afterwards. Don't cut into my time. I got a lot to share with you today. Ooh, I got something for you. I hope you came ready. Don't just sit there and stare at me today. I need you, I need you to talk back to me today. I need you to be on the edge of your seat. I'm going to try to offend some things inside of you a little bit, but that's all good. That's how we grow. No, that's not, that's not true. I'm not going to offend you, but, but I want you to get something today that I've got for you. I, I was reading through this story, and I have a question for you today. Uh, my question is this. Do you wash your hands after you go to the bathroom? Yeah. You know, I, I know that's not fully the context of this, but that's kind of what I thought about. You know, I, do you wash your hands after you go? That's a, that's a great question. And, um, and I know we're all in a public arena, and there's a lot of us today at church, and so we're all going to, yeah, yes, we do. But I want to speak on behalf of some men. Because I know the truth. A lot of guys don't wash their hands after they go number one. I said number one, okay? A lot of guys don't wash their hands. I'm just going to call it for what is ladies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out here. I'm going to say some things. My, my wife, I just want to say this. My wife, she, she'll ask me every once in a while because um, I'll, I'll be at home and, and I'll, I'll get done going to the bathroom. I'll flush the toilet and three seconds later I walk out of the room. And she looks at me and she says, did you wash your hands? And um, let, let me say something about that for just a moment, okay? First of all, I want to say this. I always wash my hands, no matter if it's one or anything else, when I'm on a public place. I want to at least establish that, okay? I, I do. I, so I want you to know, every time if you're in Lithopolis and I go to the bathroom, I wash my hands every single time, and I think you should, especially in a public place. I cannot tell you how many times I'll be in a restaurant, in a bathroom, or at the airport, and I'll see guys come walking in, do their thing, and walk right out without even washing their hands, and I think I'm judging you right now. I, I won't even go near you if I see you out there, right? Because I think that's gross, but when you're at home, You know, that's when you're at home. See, see here's the thing. Like, here, here, here's mentally what we think, okay? Ladies, I want you to understand this. As guys, we, we think it's okay. I don't need to wash my hands because I didn't have to touch anything. <laughs> Is this okay or did I? I don't have a great filter. I, hey, hey, I, I know I should. See, I, sometimes I should run my message content by my wife, and so she'd help me out. No, I don't do that a lot of times. And so, and so I'm like, I don't, you know, I, you ladies, I get it. I understand whether it's number one, number two. You always got a wife, but us guys, we, we don't touch anything. You know what I mean? Like, we, we just, in the words of Taylor Swift, we just shake, shake, shake it off. You know what? Oh, there's some people getting mad right now. 
I haven't even gotten to the good stuff. Some of y'all getting mad. This is good. Oh, my. And then my wife says to me, I'm like, I didn't touch anything. And my wife says, did you touch the handle when you flushed the toilet? Dang. That's why you see guys all the time lift their foot up and flush the toilet so we don't have to touch anything. I'm getting better at it, honey. I, I wash almost every single time, even at home. And, uh, you know, Jesus' disciples, were, they were taking some heat. And it wasn't from wives, but, but it was from the religious elite. You know, they're taking it from the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, if you don't know who they were, they were kind of the religious rulers and leaders of the nation of Israel at the time. And, um, and, and, and so they were kind of giving them a hard time. They're, you know, they, they would see them come and, and they would go start eating. Now, the issue that they had wasn't that they didn't wash after they went. It was they didn't wash before they ate. And, and, and so they would come and they would show up and they'd start eating and they didn't wash. Now, you got to understand, in this culture, this is kind of a really gross thing. Because they didn't have utensils like we have today. Thank goodness we have forks and sporks and all those great utensils. You know, they didn't have that. that so they would use their hands to scoop up the food. And, and things were really dirty. And it was kind of dusty. And it was gross. And so, listen, I think, I think when you hear this story, all of us would jump on the side of the Pharisees and be like, that's gross. I think we all agree with that. You should wash your hands. Maybe some of you had a mom that every time she called you for dinner, she was like, wash your hands. And, you know, that's a great habit. You know, I wash my hands a lot. I try to wash my hands all the time, especially when I'm at church, because I shake a whole bunch of hands, and I don't want you getting me sick. And so it's a good thing. I think we'd all agree to wash our hands. It's good. At least use Perel. At least some kind of hand sanitizer. Carry it with you. Um, and so they had an issue with them, but it wasn't for that reason. I, mean, I think we all agree it's kind of gross. It's unsanitary. If you work in the health food industry, it might even be against the law to do that, right? But that wasn't really the issue that was going on. It wasn't an unsanitary issue in their minds. It was an unholy thing. There's a difference. I want to help draw a distinction for you, especially if you've been in church for a long time. Okay, there's a distinction between that which is unsanitary and that which is unholy. And the lines had been blurred. They had been crossed even for the Pharisees because it says that the Pharisees and all the Jews, they never eat when they come from marketplaces and public areas. And they would never eat unless they would wash their hands, unless they wash with defiled hands, not just dirty hands, but it literally meant unless they were unholy. They would, they would have a ceremonial washing, not just for, I need to get the germs off get the dirt out of my nails, a ceremonial washing so that they would be right before God before they would eat of the food. Now, I, I want to just say something because th this is, they said, why don't they wash according to the tradition of the elders? We've been told this for years and years. This is what you do. You've got to ceremonially wash to get right, and then you can. And you know what's interesting today? That the same thing still exists in our world and in our churches today. That is that the religious elite have sometimes taken something that was very normal, and we've elevated, or a style of something, and we've elevated it to being sacred. Let me tell you how this plays out in the church. The kind of music, the style of music you have. There are people who come from backgrounds that are different and maybe more traditional, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But I've had people say to us, that style of music that you guys have, that is not worship. Have you ever heard that? We, we sing real. We, we sing hymns. I get that. This, I love some hymns. There's some great hymns. I love some hymns. But, but a lot of people that make those claims don't even realize that go back 150, 60, 70 years when hymns were introduced into the church. Guess what? It was an abomination to sing those hymns because they were lyrics attached to bar music that they brought into the church. What I'm trying to say is this. We need to recognize some things, especially if you've been in the church for a long time, that we have some traditions that have been handed down to us from our elders or people who went before us that we elevate as sacred and we say these things are holy to God when they're not holy to God at all. It's not the style of music. You can sing a hymn or you can sing hill song. It does not matter because God doesn't care about the style of music. God just cares about the place of our hearts when we come together to worship. Come on. If you believe that, make some noise. You know what we've done? We've, we said you've got to dress a certain way to show respect in the house of God. You've got to wear something. You've got to dress up. You've got to look nice. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You got to look a certain way. That's funny because God told the prophet Samuel all the way back in the Old Testament, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. What have we done? We have taken things that have been, things we've been given, the way a building looks. Oh, this one always gets people riled up. That don't look like a church. Come on, where are the pews? Where's the stained glass windows? Where's the steeples? Where's all the religious things hanging on the walls? You know what's funny? Go back to the first three centuries of the church and you won't find any buildings because it was against the law to even meet and gather as a church. And yet the church still managed to grow. The church in China is still growing even though they're underground. We have taken things that we have grown up with and we've elevated them and we said, this is holy to God. What, what do you preach? Expository or topic? Who freaking cares? As long as we preach God's word, let's stop saying that certain things are holy when, when it's, it's not. It does, God doesn't care about that. How, how do we know that? Because this wasn't an issue of the hands. This was an issue of the heart. Jesus said right back to him, hey, you know, the prophet Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you can you imagine just the whoo, man the way it just felt in that moment hypocrites you, you worship me with your lips but your heart's not even in it it's not authentic it's traditions traditions that you've been given that you hold in high esteem listen there is nothing wrong with any of those in fact i will go so far as to tell you this you can sing a hymn and live like hell all week, or you can sing a hill song and live like hell all week. It's not about the style of singing. It's not about the style of preaching. It's not about the programs. It's not about, it's about your heart. That's what God cares about. That's really what he cares about. So in this moment, they're all upset about, about they're not washing their hands, and it wasn't about being clean it was actually about being unholy and and they totally missed the essence of what it is in this moment and i believe that we can do the same thing in the church if we're not careful sometimes we can take human traditions and we can create a false value system out of them please hear this we can take human traditions 
And we can make a false, this is what God values. This is what he values. I wonder if God would, would love to say to so many of us today in the world and our churches, and hey, you're valuing things that I don't even think are valuable. You care about things that I don't even care about. You're in love with things in your church that I don't even care about. I don't like. Jesus would, would teach us and tell us that God desires obedience, not sacrifice. God wants us to have an authentic connection and following of him. And what is valuable to his heart should be valuable to ours. Do you agree with that? It was valuable to his. And I, I kind of felt like as we're beginning a new, a new chapter of ministry, you know, we have a new name. And I, I know it's, it's more than just a new name. We're the same church, but, but, but there's something fresh and new that God is really doing in us. I felt like that, that it was a good time for me to redefine what I believe is valuable for our church. I took some time last year, and I, and I just kind of really asked God. I was like, God, help me to capture the heart, your heart of what you value, because that should be on our hearts as his church. What he values should be what we value. And, and so I, I kind of just went with a, sl a clean slate, and I brought to our lead team. I said, listen, I've got some new values for us as a church. We, we embark on this new season. And I want to take the next two weeks. I, I want to impart these seven new values to you. And you ought to be really thankful that I split this up, because I could not get this into one sermon. But I needed to have that foundation of understanding. What I'm going to show you and what I believe God values is clear in God's word when you see his heart. If you want to know what Jesus values, go and read about his life and you will discover very quickly what he values. It's not that complicated. And every church is unique and every church is different. And listen, we all have some different angles and things that we take on it. But, but you know, all in all, we... We should all have the same heartbeat of Jesus as a community. And so I want to share with you a few of them today to get started. I want to ask you if you would maybe either write these down. Now, I would love for you, if you're part of this church, and it might be hard to try to even get to the point of committing these seven values to memory. I know I'm a pastor and it's a lofty goal and most of us aren't going to do that. But I, I, I would love to challenge you to really dwell and think about this because what I'm going to share with you over this weekend and next weekend is really... It's birthed out of my heart in leading this church. It's what I see in God's word about his heart for the church and for us. As long as I'm responsible for leading this church and I am responsible and I'm the one that gives an account to God for how I lead this church, then I'm going to be the one to really kind of help lead and dictate and say, this is what I believe that we value as a church because, because God's word shows us that's what God values. Okay? Are you ready for him? That was not very convincing. That was not very convincing, Kevin, at all. Let me try that again. Are you ready for them? Come on, say, give it to me. Come on. All right, here's the first one. The first one is this. The gospel is our priority. Come on, that's a good statement, isn't it? The gospel is our priority. Would you all say it out loud, both campuses? Just say it with me. The gospel is our priority. Man, that's so good. I truly believe that the good news, that's what the word gospel means, by the way, the good news of Jesus. In fact, we have a little tag that we wrote with each one of these to kind of help express the heart behind the statement. The gospel is our priority. Here, let me read it to you. This says this, the gospel of Jesus will always be first in our lives and in our message. We will say no to many good things in order to do what's most important. We refuse to let the message of the gospel be hijacked 
by anything else. It is our priority. Amen. Isn't that good? Come on. The gospel is our priority. We can clap at that. Come on. The gospel. The good news of Jesus is always the first importance. Can I, can I tell you, I heard this, this quote before. I didn't make it up, but I think it is so very true. Do you know this? If everything is important, then truly nothing is important. Do you know that? If everything is important, in other words, if we take every single thing and we elevate it and we say, well, that's important and that's important and that's important and that's important and that's important, and it might be, but if everything is important, then let me tell you this, truly nothing is actually important because there's nothing unimportant because everything is important. You following me? We, we, we should kind of at least assess that in our own lives because there are so many good things that, that we do. In fact, I, let, let me ask you this. Like, I think we can all agree on these. Is having a roof over your head important? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah. That's important, right? Is having money to buy food important? Yeah, I think that's pretty important, right? And that's all important. Is uh, going to work so that you can make money, so that you can buy food and put a roof over your head? Important, yeah? I think we all agree. That's important. Is spending time with your family important? You better say yes if you're sitting next to them. Yes, sir. Come on. Is that important? Of course it's important. Is spending time with your friends important? Yeah, I mean, if you're not a friend, how are you going to have any friends, right? Come on, that's important. All this is, is being part of your church important? Yes, pastors. You really say, yes, oh, it is. I, I assume it is because you're here, right? It's important. I mean, come on. It's giving your children what they need so they can grow up and they can know Jesus and follow him important. Come on. Yes. It's giving them opportunities to develop and find their passions important. Yes. Is playing a sport. Your kids playing a sport important. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. That wasn't a trick question. It's very clear. You know, the number one competition the church has is in other churches. It's sports. It's important. That's why, that's why we take our kids to sports rather than bring them to church a lot of times. It's important. Let's just be honest. Let's just say it for what it is. Is having your family around the dinner table at least a few times every week important? I hope so. It's important. Listen, all these things are good things. Right? I think we all agree all of them are important. But here's the thing. If we elevate every single thing in our lives, and I know I didn't do that, and we say everything's important, then really nothing is important. I want you to see a distinction here, because here's what I'm trying to show you. And that is that we have to make decisions every single day as to what is really important in our lives. You have to make, you have to make a decision. If I were to tell you, you have to make a decision this month. Either your kid plays the sport that they really want to play or your family eats. Which one are you going to do? We're eating some food. We'll kick a soccer ball around outside. Right? Like, you're going to make a decision. And I guess what I'm trying to say is this. The difference between what is important and what is a priority is a choice. It's a choice that we make. You and I have to make choices all the time to determine what's a priority. And there's the difference. Do you know we have to do the same thing in the church? If I were to collectively uh, run through all of the things that churches have done, all the activities that churches in general have done over the last 50 years, and I were to ask you if they were important, my guess is we would say, yep, that's important. If I were to talk about all this, the events that we have done in churches over the years, all the different types of meetings and the prayer meetings and the Bible study gatherings and all these different things, and then the outreach things and then the missionaries that we do this and all this, if I were to ask you if they're all important, my guess is we'd say, yep, yep, it's all important. It's all important. It is. It's all important. But we have to at some point 
say, it is all important, what's a priority? There's a difference. And I want to show you what I believe is the priority of the local church. Not just our church, but I believe of the local church. And I'm not the one that came up with this, but the Apostle Paul, you ever heard of him? This guy named Paul who wrote a good portion of our New Testament. He was somebody that was anti-God, anti-Jesus until he met Jesus who had been risen from the dead. And all of a sudden he was like, well, okay, well, if you can do that, I'm going to follow you. And then he started churches. And Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15. He wrote this to the church in Corinth. Listen to it. He said, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. Sometimes we need reminded. Sometimes in the church we need reminded. This is our reminder. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. If there's anything that your life stands on, if there's anything your faith is based on, let me tell you what it should be. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is only the gospel. I'm only in verse 1. i got to keep going. It says, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, it's all been for naught. You believed in vain. Verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of what? Say it out loud. What? As of First importance. Come on, we can do better, Lancaster. I want to hear you. Come on, what I have received, I have passed on to you as of first importance. What is it? All right, here he is. He's going to show us what dinners, what gatherings, what events, what send-offs. What is it? Here's what he says. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says very clearly, I'm going to tell you what's of first importance. What's that priority? I'm going to tell you what matters more than anything else. And let me tell you why he says this. This is the gospel. If you've ever heard that word and you say, I don't even know what it means. It's the good news that Jesus died for your sin and my sin, according to the scriptures, was buried in the grave for three days. And on the third day, God raised him to life, according to the scriptures. And unless that happens, all the rest of what we do is worthless. Amen? Come on, if you believe that, let me hear you. There is nothing more important than the gospel, the message, because I need it and you need it. If Jesus doesn't do that, then we're wasting our time right here. We ought to just stop and I'd rather sleep in. Paul says, everything you have and believe in is founded on that truth. And that truth must stay as the priority. And why is this so important? Because here's what I've discovered. The longer that we're in church, the more we start to become religious. And it happens to us all. The longer it is, you know what? We start to go, oh, the gospel. Do I have to hear that again? Can't we just save that for Easter? I mean, you know what I mean? The death, burial, resurrection. Can't we just do that Easter? Is that really like, oh gosh, he's going to do a gospel message again. I really wish he would do something a little deeper. Can we do eschatology or can we, can we just get into something like, you know what I mean? Like, can we just. Hey, listen, um, I, I do believe in trying to preach a well-rounded, full version, full counsel of God's word. I want to, I want to help you in life through this, but I want you to hear me very clearly. And that is this. The gospel, the good news of Jesus will be the priority in my preaching, my priority in what our church says. It is the message. It is the only message that matters in our church. And it will always, and here's what, here's the danger, is there's a trap that happens in our lives. The longer we kind of walk with God, the longer we follow him, the trap is that that good news becomes old news. 
was, you know, I know he did that. That was like 23 years ago. And it's like, okay, you know, so um, elementary. You know what I've discovered? I need reminded daily of how much I need the grace of Jesus Christ in my life and that I need a Savior every single day in my life. I think we need reminded of that. Lest we get so self-righteous, so stuck on ourselves on our good deeds, on all the things that we don't do, that we get to a place where we think, I don't really need that. So I told you, I'm going to get in your face if you get self-righteous and religious around here because I won't stand for it. It's just, it it's, it's violates everything that Jesus came for. To be so caught up on the, the letter of the law that you lose the spirit of the law, you miss the heart behind it. And I'm going to tell you that the moment the gospel stops being important or priority in our own lives is the moment that it really stops being priority in the church. I was really convicted by that truth. Because there's one thing to say, hey, our church, the gospel is a priority. Can I ask you this? Is the gospel a priority in your life? I'm deeply convicted by that myself. Like every day and where I'm going, what I'm doing with my life is the gospel that is the good news. Like should, I, I should be able to, and anybody I have a conversation with, they should see that I am so excited because of what Jesus has done in my life. This isn't something he did when I was just 17 years old, but something he did for me this past week that I should want to share it with everybody that I come in contact with. I should want to invite my neighbors. I should want them to hear the good news. You know what Jesus has done to me? The gospel should be a priority in our lives. And I'm just here to tell you that the gospel is our priority at this church. If you believe that, would you put your hands together one more time and just say, I agree. Amen. Amen. Let me give you another one, if you can handle it. I don't know if you can handle this much preaching in one day. Nah, I like it. I like it. They want it. They want it. Uh, let me give you a second one, and that is people are our purpose. People are our purpose. Come on, would you all say that out loud with me at both our campuses? People are our purpose. Let me, let me give you our little tag with that. People matter to God and therefore they should matter to us. By the way, it's not just people you like. That's where it gets hard. People matter to God and therefore matter to us. Every single person that walks through our doors is someone Jesus died to rescue. We value people over systems and programs. They are our purpose. You know, I, I always try to remind us that we are a church, but we are not a building. We meet in buildings, but the building does not define us. We'll put a building up in Canal Winchester one of these days when the weather cooperates. But even that doesn't change the fact that we are this church now, and we'll be that church then. It'll just give us an opportunity to make room and reach more people, and I'll be forever th thankful for that and for you giving and being a part of that. But I, I just want you to hear this from me because I think sometimes there's this thought in a big church, and we are a, a big church, two locations, and um, there's sometimes a thought that like a big church is impersonal and a big church doesn't care about people and a big church just cares about number and that's all that pastors care about. You know, I, I go sometimes a month, two months, and I don't even know what our attendance is on the weekends. I don't want to live and die by the attendance in our church. I, I had to, I, I got to come to this realization. It's like, and it's hard because they're going to, that, you know what matters? What I'm looking at right matters. You guys, because people are our purpose. That's what matters. And, and where I get this from is when I look at Jesus and I see Jesus, you know what mattered to him? People. 
People mattered. I think about what in the world would cause Jesus to leave heaven and step down to our pitiful world that's broken and a mess. People. Like when you follow and read about the life of Jesus, that's all you see. One of my favorite stories that illustrates this is found in John chapter 4. In John 4, it says this, that, that Jesus and the disciples, they're going to leave the Judea area down south, and they're going to head back to Galilee. And here's what's so amazing, that what stands in between them is this area called Samaria, where Samaritans live. And if you know anything about the culture then, you know that the Jews hated the Samaritans and vice versa because of the racism. And, and even, in fact, a lot of times, though it was a direct route, a lot of Jews would travel around Samaria so they didn't go through it, so they didn't help them, so they didn't buy from them, so they didn't need them. And yet it says in John chapter 4, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Okay, it might be the most direct route, but I actually think there was something compelling him to go through Samaria, and they get to Samaria, and they get to this town in Samaria, and it says the disciples, they're all hungry from traveling, and so they all go into the town to go buy food, and Jesus goes to this well that's in the center of it, Jacob's well, and he's there in the middle of the day, and it's really hot, and all of a sudden, this woman comes walking up to the well. You've probably heard this story if you've been in church. And Jesus begins to engage in conversation with this woman, and he begins to express to her that what he has to offer her is far greater than what she has found in this life. He begins to just pour out his love to this one woman. Oh, by the way, why is that so significant? It's on so many levels, if you understand this story, because this woman had a reputation. In fact, everybody in town probably was like, oh yeah, her. Yeah. This woman has a reputation not for being great, but being promiscuous. Here, here's a woman who's been married five times, and now she's living with another guy. In that culture, do you have any idea what that's like? Like, here is a woman who, like, the whole town knows about her reputation. And yet here's Jesus showing love to this one woman. Not only that, but he's breaking every social rule in the book. Listen, for a Jewish man to even talk to a Samaritan would break those rules. For a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman was even worse. For a guy who is seen as a rabbi to talk to a woman of that stature would have been shocking in that day. We know that because when Jesus' disciples come back and he's talking to the woman, literally it says they're shocked to see him talking to this woman. Finally, she leaves and she goes to tell everybody in the town, oh my gosh, you got to meet this Jesus. Oh my, I've never seen the love in his eyes. I've just, like you have, I think he's the Messiah. You need to come and see him. And when she leaves, the interaction that happens with Jesus' disciples is what kind of caught my attention. It says this in John 4, verses 31 through 35. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Come on, you got to be hungry, right? We went and got food. It says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I, I love, I love how, how John puts this little detail. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone else have got a McDonald's? Did, like, did somebody else bring him food? Like, wh what does it mean? He, he's already eaten? Like, we just went to go. They, 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 did, they didn't understand what Jesus' purpose was. And he said, verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him, him who sent me and to finish his work. He said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. You know what he's saying? He's like, I can't think about food. 
How could I? I can't even be hungry and think about food. You know why? Because I'm sitting in front of a woman who is broken and a woman who's been destitute and a woman who has a horrible past and a woman who's in the middle of a mess right now and my heart just bleeds for her and so I'm going to show her love and I'm so focused not just on her but every single person in this town who is lost without me. That's why I came here in the first place and so I get the food and all that but he says open your eyes. Look around. He says, there's people all over. This is what we're doing, man. This is what we're doing. Here's what I love about Jesus for him. People weren't an interruption. They were the very inspiration for why he came. And I pray that that's the way our heart feels about this community. I, I, I just want to say this, and because I, I feel like it's super important as your pastor and this is, this is something I've really made sure of over this past year. And I know we went through some transition and God, God transitioned us. And, and I think he was doing a work in us. And, and there was a developing process that was going on in us. But one of the things that God really showed me was that there are a lot of different staff and pastors and other people that we need for a community to decide to lead you guys, to serve you guys, to love you guys. But one of the primary things that God showed me over this past year was that I don't want to look for people who just have incredible skill. I don't want to look for people who want to be in ministry. I want to look for people who have a heart for people. I want to look for shepherds. I want to look for people who love people. I want to, I want to just say, this is something I'm drilling into our staff. This is something and saying that, listen, people are our purpose. Not the programs and not the experiences and not the events and not the things. Those are all great. We're going to do all that stuff so we can present the gospel because it's our priority. But I want you to hear this from me. And that is, as your pastor, when I look out and I see you, listen, you are our purpose. And we're going to do everything that we can in our power to love you, to equip you, to serve you, to care for you, to make sure that we're leading with shepherds' hearts, that we're doing it because that's Jesus' heart. And so people are our purpose. Amen? Come on, if you, if you agree with that one, put your hands together. You should. It's about you. People are our purpose. Let me give you the third one if you can handle it. I don't even know if you can handle it today. I'm going to give you the last one. It's the last one that I've got. It's the last one i got for today. And that is this. The lost are our, our passion. The lost are our passion. The lost are our passion. Come on, both campuses, would you say it with me? The lost are our passion. I wrote this down. Jesus would leave the 99 to find the one. So will we. We are unapologetic about reaching people who are far from God. We do everything with this person in mind. This is what fuels our faith. This is our passion. Come on, if there's one thing you need to know that inspires me as your pastor to get up every single day, if there's one thing, if you want to know what puts fuel in my tank for my faith and believing God for this community and where God has taken us, if you want to know the one thing that kind of has me more fired up and passionate than anything else, it is knowing that God will use our church to have the opportunity to lead people across that line of salvation, to see their lives changed, to see eternities changed. This is what fuels me. And you know why? Because this is what fuels Jesus. If you don't believe me, 
Why don't you listen to his words? Because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares three stories that really express God's heart and the primary reason why Jesus came. He shares three stories, and they're all three stories to tell one truth. He tells a story about sheep. He tells a story about a coin. And he tells a story about a son. And maybe you know these stories. He says, listen, say you're a shepherd and you got a hundred sheep in the field and all of a sudden one wanders off he said don't you leave the 99 and go after the one yes that's what you do and when you find that lost one don't you bring it back and you throw a party and you celebrate because he says that's what heaven's like when one sinner repents and turns toward him that all of heaven is throwing a party this is his passion this is what jesus was passionate about he says if a woman has 10 coins and she loses one doesn't she flip the house over until she finds that coin and when she does she throws a party i thought to myself she might spend more money throwing a party than the coin she lost but isn't that kind of the heart of God? Isn't that what God does? And then he tells a story about a son, a prodigal son, who says, I want all my stuff. I want to go my own way. I want to walk. This is not just the story that Jesus told. This is our story. Some of you, this is your story. Maybe right now, you're running away. and I want to do life on my terms and the way I want to. And guess what? God will allow us. The Father will let you. And the son wanders off and spends everything on wild living. And then one day he wakes up in pig slop and he realizes this is not joy. This is not what I thought it would be. And he decides that maybe I'll go back to the father and he'll take me as a servant. But when he goes back to the father, that's not what happens. What does dad do? He runs to him and wraps him up in his arms. And he says, my son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. This is the heart of God. If you want to know what Jesus is passionate about, just read Luke 15. If you want to know what we will always be passionate about at this church, listen, people are our purpose. So we're going to serve and love and care. We want to challenge you to take your next step. That's what we're going to do. But I need you to know this. The lost is what fuels us. That's our passion. We're going to do whatever it takes to reach that one. Do you know the only people in Jesus' day that didn't like that? The super religious. I hope you hear this. I'm trying to knock some of the religious rust off of you today. The only people that didn't like it and didn't understand it were the religious. The Pharisees. They would say, why does Jesus, why do you always hang out with them? Why does Jesus always eat with those people? Why does Jesus always go to those places? Why does he always drink with them? Why does he always do that? You know what Jesus said? Because you don't even understand. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the convinced and the found. I came for the lost. And I just happen to believe as a church that if that's what he's passionate about, shouldn't we be passionate about it too? Come on, make some noise if you agree with this. Come on, would you all stand to your feet today? Come on, stand up to this word. I just really believe that God wants to do something as we pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, but I believe that God wants to solidify and God wants to ignite this in us. 
Come on, I just believe maybe some of us have been dormant. Some of us have been in church. It's been religion. It's been rules. It's been programs. And I just think that God today wants to ignite something inside of you. God wants to say, come on, it's time to wake up, church. It's time to value what I value. It's time to love the people that I love. Come on, I really believe he wants to do that today.